Is this the new intro? Just Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. Bah, bah. Well, you gotta you. make that face when you're, when ba, you're ba, doing that. Ba, da, da, da. <laughs> Only bringing the highest in quality audio entertainment. Just Jiu-Jitsu. Established 1982. It sounds better than five weeks ago. Or six weeks ago. 2019. Yeah. <laughs> I just think it's funny when businesses will say... I get when they'll say established in 1925 or long ago, but when they say established in, sometimes they'll say like, you look in the like 2015. Yeah, that's kind of odd. I don't it's know why you're cheesy. bragging about f- three three years, four yeah. years. Yeah, I say leave it alone. And then like 15 years online, you can start bragging. Yeah. Yeah. If you made a t-shirt, when would... It would have been... Did, so it depends because i've been teaching forever you know the t-shirts you have do they say established in i think they say 11 i couldn't remember if it was that or if it was just like jujitsu no, date I, established. I, well the original the other one the green one says 1925 okay yeah but no but mine i think if it was for me it'd be like 2011 that's when i started teaching full-time you know the 1925 date established is uh is honoring is that when like the first that's gym crazy, was open crazy my talk. that's oh, okay. where you know you were there mm-hmm. that's so. when they opened it yeah yeah okay all right well welcome to this episode today oh that reminds me i was, I was gonna start this one off this will all be edited out <laughs> um <laughs> that's the beauty like I, I as we move on and talk more and more i realize the There's, power of editing. Yeah, we, we can say whatever we want. <laughs> if you wanted to just say a bunch of horrible things right I, now about people, to. if you wanted to just light up, I'm not going some to. child that you saw at the grocery store or anything, you could say that, and I could edit it out. I, no, it's okay. Or I could just loop it over and over. Right, that's what I'm saying. So you sure? Yeah, I'm positive. We're gonna leave it. <laughs> All right, just I'm giving you the opportunity here All to right, light right. some fires. Thanks you for like like letting me vent. You know, I get it. I yeah. get it, but they had nothing to vent about. Okay, well. It's probably a good choice. What's going on with you this week? What are you studying in your personal jiu-jitsu world? Are you going over, like, as you plan stuff for class, are you going over stuff for your own game? Yeah, so you know, um, you know, I take notes and I, I write class plans out, you know, lesson plans for for months ahead. Um, like in our gi gi class, you know, I have the next six to eight months written out, and and um, in no gi we have the next year written out because I actually got about two weeks over break to work on it. So um, no, for me the the cool thing about teaching the way I do where. We, we, we take a system, we take a series, right? And we get into the series and we like just spend time with it, you know, and, and develop it. it. It forces me to do to do review and, and, and reanalyze techniques that one time were my go-to thing, you know? So as an example, when we did close guard, right? We spent like three, three years, two years, two and a half years, three years in, in close guard, attacking from close guard. Um, and I used to love close guard, and I used to do all that stuff in roles and, and, and forever. But now I'm, you know, 
if I'm if I'm a more serious role, I'll do close guard. Otherwise, you know, I'll go like butterfly or half. So it's been nice to, as I'm going through class, revisiting those old techniques that I haven't, you know, spent time with in a long time. Mm-hmm. So for me, it helps me. Like teaching helps me learn. Um, of course, I always try to look ahead, you know, so I'm thinking of the next few techniques and stuff. So uh, right now we're doing X. So X guard is, is on the on the on the mind. The one disadvantage you have that all of your students have is we all are constantly seeing our limits when we roll. We're seeing areas that we're getting beat in and what we, mm-hmm. areas we need to work on. It's probably harder for you to see where right. you're weak when you're rolling with right. a lot of... Well, um, and, and I think that's something that happens to all black belts, to all, all people that have been around for a while. And even if you're not a black belt, let's say you're a brown belt and you're the only brown belt in the school, right? Uh, you would see that the same effect would happen. The benefit of having partners, train partners, or, or, or a large number of train partners that are your level is that they will f- expose those weaknesses for you. Like, you won't be able to hide them, right? Where, for me, I have to look for them. So the difference between rolling with Andrew the blue belt versus Andrew the black belt would be, in Andrew the blue belt, I would have to to take my game a little bit down, take the levels down to your level. And I would have to search for weaknesses in that game in hopes that you can take advantage of those weaknesses, right? If I if I give Blue Belt Andrew 100% of my game, I won't see any weaknesses, right? Um, now, if I was rolling with Black Belt Andrew, Black Belt Andrew would at some point find a weakness and exploit it, and that'll be exposed. So um, it just, the difference for me is just becomes somebody else exposing my weakness and me looking for it. And I'm, I'm such a perfectionist that I, I'm pretty good at finding my own weaknesses. I mean, as best as I can. Right. That's good. I was just curious. I was thinking about that the other day. Yeah. You know what? I am also right now just realizing date-wise, I think we've hit the 30-day mark. Oh, my God. So. Have we really? I think so. Let me just let me double check here and see when our first episode release was. It was Yes. Twenty well, the nineteenth was our first episode. The twenty first was the second one, which I think I think it was the twenty first. Well, we have someone from Cincinnati, Ohio, who needs your attention. <laughs> um, Do you really? Yes. Are you full of shit? <laughs> I am right now, okay. but I'm just preparing you for the oh, time that okay. I'm really disappointed. No one has no one has emailed and said that they have because they know your promise is garbage because I didn't back it. <laughs> no, I, I think they're just they're just waiting for the perfect opportunity to to send that email. But until then, all right. So this week we're working on or we're talking about escaping. I want to become. An escape artist. Okay. I want to be like my game. I want it to be like a magician who, right when you think he's stuck and can't go anywhere, he has the straight jacket on, he's locked in a box, boom, the smoke bomb hits, and then he appears on the other side of the room, wind blowing, fog rising, doves flying past him. I want to be that you guy. You want to be that guy? Yes. Can okay. you make me that guy? Not quite with a dove on the fog on the background, but yes. Uh, okay, I can take care. I can take care of the doves. I can take care of the fog. The 
magicians usually have really extreme outfits. Yes. So I'll take care of finding perfect some crazy red velvety sequenced okay. magician's outfit. You just need to help me learn how to escape. Sounds It'll be good. tough to roll in that outfit. Though. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. So to become an escape artist, we had talked. We we talked about this a little bit already, and I was asking you, what are some good videos I can watch of a guy who's escaping, a guy who's stopping his opponent? Like we talked about last week, control. He would the person he's rolling with just could not control him. What's an example? And you recommended. You said Im- immediately, look up Hydra Gracie. Yeah. Escape artist yeah, or master ma- of escape. Master, master of escapes, yeah. Master of escapes. Yeah. I did, and it was terrible. It was no, I'm kidding. No, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was what I was looking for, and I just I, I was trying to watch it, and there was things I was noticing, and I thought, okay, I'll talk to Croyler, and I think after an hour long podcast, he can make me like Hadra Gracie. In one hour. Yeah. Oh, do you, our I mean, do we need an, should this be an hour and a half episode? Oh, I don't know. Do you I mean, need an hour and a half to make me? No, I mean, like, I don't know that an hour in, of anywhere would <laughs> be sufficient. But I can give you the tools that you can work on. That sounds like a lot of work. I was hoping that there would just be a <laughs> quick, like, couple things you tell me. Yeah. I wouldn't have to practice. I would just immediately kind of like the Matrix. You would tell me. Oh, just you would be able it. to plug something right into the, my cerebral cortex, and I would immediately know it. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. Okay, so now we'll take the long way, and <laughs> let's start from the beginning. Um, things I noticed when I watched Hodger. One was he, in all the scrambles, always just knew how to, well, always most of the time would come out of t- on top he would win the scrambles if he didn't and ended up in a bad spot he would find a way to get to the better spot he was always he was never flat always on his side Mm -hmm. a lot of things that we talk about in class but just put together in a perfect combination that made him yeah just impossible to pin down the the other the other guy that's got incredible incredible defense is uh is hit on gracie also has high very very high level defense Hajar maybe a little bit more battle tested because he you know, obviously competed a lot and and Hiron didn't, um, but they both have very very good defenses, and and I think when we talk about es- you know escaping, we need to define the difference between escape and defending, right? So, to me, defending means you're preventing something from happening, right? So if somebody is armbarring me. Right. And I, I hold my hand so my arm doesn't stretch out. I'm not escaping that armbar. I'm defending that armbar. It's not until I am free of that position or free of that threat that I have escaped. So, you know, like we have to just, it's a fine line, but, right. but it's there. If I can delay the inevitable, I could defend for a while and then crumble. Or if I defend and then find a way out, then I have defended and then escaped. Okay. Right. And I think those are different. Like I said, we just need to, to specify that. Um, so I think before we talk about escaping, before we dive into escaping, we need to talk about attacking. Um, so we, when we talked about control, we talked about um, creating a position or, or getting to a position, establishing control over that position, isolating a target, and then attacking that target. And that's how we submit somebody, right? We isolate the target. And then we, we finish it. So when we're looking to, to defend, right, the first thing that comes to mind is how, how what are the steps necessary? If I'm stuck in a submission, 
what are the steps necessary for that submission to work? Okay, so if I know, in the example of the armbar, if I know if my arm extends and my elbow is pointed up and they control my wrist and my head cannot raise and you know all these other things are happening, their hips are tight to my shoulders, I know my arm will break, mm -hmm. right? So if I can start disrupting those necessary steps, <clears throat> I can essentially weaken the position, meaning if I can make sure that my elbow is bent, so it's not my elbow is not on their hip, but rather the side of my arm, right? If I can make sure that my wrist is free to rotate, if I can, you know, eliminate the, the leg that's in my head, if I can create some space in there to move around and to turn, if I can hold my hand, that would be the ultimate, you know, defense, quote unquote, would be to hold my hand or hold my gi so that my arm isn't even extended. You know, if I'm, I'm eliminating threats of the position. Mm. And that causes a certain level, a small bubble or small cocoon of safety. I am safe right now because I'm able to maintain these parameters, right? But it doesn't mean that I'm free. Should the opponent break my grip, align the elbow, regain head control, the armbar is still there. Like I'm still in constant threat. It's kind of... So that all that stuff that you're describing is defending. We haven't hit Correct. escape yet. No. So if we're looking at that line between them... That's the defense. That's just defending. That's just biding time right. until you can hit it and find a way out. Right? right. Because once we once we find the cocoon of safety, right, then we can start thinking, okay, how do I escape this position? How can I escape this situation? And I think um, escaping is far more complex than just holding your hand or moving the elbow because you essentially have to work out of a very shitty situation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let me put it into um, so so Hoyler Gracie is one of the one of the best instructors in the planet, right? And uh, I one time asked Hoyler, you know, how do I get out of that? And I don't remember exactly what we were talking about. It was after one of the tournaments I fought or something. Um, or I said, how would you get out of that? He goes, you just don't get into it, <laughs> right? Uh, and and it seems like he was being a smartass, but but the reality is, there's a lot of wisdom in that. Meaning, if I'm Let's say somebody is, if I'm rolling with somebody, right? They take me down, they pass my guard, they get the side mount, they top mount, they isolate my arm, they control top mount, they isolate my arm, they, sw they swing for the arm bar, they set up a perfect arm bar, and now I'm looking to escape. What What is happening here? What is happening is I fought, I'm fighting somebody who is dominant enough to achieve all those positions, to achieve top mount and maintain top mount, isolate top mount and attack arm. This is a, this is an opponent that is very good, right? It's not like the white belt that can do that, right? Mm. And there's so. not just one thing that happened there and then he had that right. submission or he had whatever. Right. There's a series of events that you essentially failed to, Absolutely. to stop. I failed a lot to mm. get to where I'm at. So recovering from that, we have to understand that whether it's defending or escaping or both, we're fighting out of a, the shittiest possible scenario because we have failed everything up to this point, right? For him to be successful, we have to be failing. So um, back to the escape. So once I've defended and I've eliminated the immediate threat, I have to find a way out of the current pattern of attack. Meaning if I'm just holding my arm because I'm too afraid to move and get my arm pulled out, my arm will get pulled out. Like I'm still stuck in this situation. Um, I was rolling with a guy today in class, actually in comp class, 
and uh, he was a wrestler, and I took his back, and he just sprawled into the mats and protected his neck, put his hands by his neck, and he just sat there <laughs> and took the weight. So he is in a position. It's an inferior position. I didn't have a submission ready, but he is sprawled out. I am full weight on him. He cannot move. He's blocking his neck, right? So he decided to defend the back, not escape the back, but defend. And, and he decided he was just going to take that pressure and take the suffering and take the position for as long as he can instead of trying to better his position, right? So again, back to my point, you can defend something very well, but not eliminate the threat, not eliminate the issue. And as you break this down, I'm, I like that delineation because I can put in my brain their number one priority is defend, survive. And then the escape is kind of the luxury or the if this, then this next step. Correct. And so always, always you have to defend. And then from there, that defense is just buying you enough time to think of your escape. Correct. In a, in a perfect world, um, the next step past escaping would be counterattacking. That'd be the ideal third step, right? But um, so we get to escaping, meaning in the armbar example, I am protected enough that I don't feel my arm or my elbow for this matter is in danger, right? It doesn't matter how I move my arm or where I placed it or how I gripped it or that's irrelevant. I just eliminated the threat on the elbow. So now I have to analyze the position, meaning how, how is this armbar set up? because not all arm bars are equal. The principle behind an arm bar is always the same. It's fulcrum and lever to break the, the elbow, right? But how we, how the arm bar is set up and how the opponent is positioned and how the opponent is applying the principles of the arm bar will vastly change how you escape. Meaning, if the opponent has their head arm, meaning the, the arm closest to your head, pulling your your arm versus their leg arm right the arm closest to your legs you know looping the arm or if they have both hands looping if it's both legs over the over the body meaning one over the head one over the body versus head and shin or is it shoulder and over the body or is it just shoulder and shin right so all those scenarios um create slightly different properties slightly different you know escape routes so once we're defending and we can find room to breathe and we can think of, of an escape, before we set our mind on escape, we need to analyze, will the escape work with how my opponent is applying the armbar? Okay, so um, an example. Sometimes hitchhiking out of an armbar is easier than turning into the opponent. Sometimes hitchhiking is not possible, meaning let's say somebody armbars me and my favorite escape is to hitchhike. So my thumb goes to the ground, and then I run towards their legs and, and basically get to all fours, right? Just bail out. Right. That's all great and good. Unless my opponent is holding my arm, my the arm that he's targeting, past his sternum towards my legs. If he moves my arm past my sternum, past his sternum towards my legs, and I try to hitchhike out, the armbar will get tighter as they escape, no matter how smooth my hitchhike is. But if he does that, it makes it easier for me to roll into him and then go into a guard position, right? Mm -hmm. So if my opponent has my arm 
from his sternum towards my head, and I try to turn in, it becomes very, very tough, almost impossible. But it helps the hitchhiker, right? Mm -hmm. So there's, you have to be able to analyze the position and be able to find, okay, how, how are they applying the principle? And how can I, what is the most efficient method of escape here? So don't just do what I do sometimes and... Try both. <laughs> try both. Or or just see any light at the end of a tunnel and just run towards it because sometimes you're running to a light and then there's the, like the ground drops off and you fall to your death. It's easy to get sometimes that panic mode where you just start to move and right. you just start to like wiggle and shake and you're thinking you're escaping, but you don't have a plan of what the outcome of this movement will be. Correct. And so you end up in a position that is either worse or you're just in a similar situation where you're stuck and you can't do anything. Right. So before you pull that trigger, I probably should have a idea of where it's I'm going to end yeah, up. Yeah, right. And, and, and jiu-jitsu, especially if you're good at attacking, like if you have a good instructor and, and if you've spent time developing attack patterns or attack series, um, every potential escape for any particular application of the principle is covered. So... For us, like when we get to our arm bars, right, and we get to side mount, we talk about arm barring from side mount. If somebody hit checks out, right, we're not gonna sweat it too much. We'll transition to a normal plata. Like that's our counter. It's our counter to their escape. It's to go off into a normal plata. Now, as the person attacking, this is great because you're like, oh, I go from submission to submission, big deal. But as a person defending, sometimes you're in such a shitty situation against somebody who is that tough. Remember, that person caused, a, caused you to fail a lot, right? So you have to give them credit too. So sometimes you're grappling with this guy who's very, very good, caused you to make all these mistakes, and your only escape is to accept a different submission. And sometimes that is an escape. You have to accept that as an escape, meaning you have to take the, you have to, you have to consider in this example of the hitchhiking out, into normal plata, you have to accept that as a as a controlled risk. I am walking into the normal plata, but in an normal plata, he's not set up yet in the normal plata. So maybe as I walk into it, I can disrupt it and have my defense further along than I did in the armbar. So then my escape from the normal plata will always be a little bit better than my original escape. And let's say you roll out of an normal plata, or you turn into it and you get triangled, right? And that's something that you have accepted and you're controlling that risk but you know you're walking the triangle every time if your defenses keep getting better and your escapes keep getting better and you know where you're walking into essentially what you're doing is making their attacks worse does that make sense mm. they're reacting to you he's almost plotting almost applying all plot on you because you escaped so he is now reactive to you okay and then if you escape his own plata and it forces him to go into a triangle or whatever else, then he is still reacting to you as if you're the one leading the party, right? Now, if, like I said, if you're not analyzing, like in your example of the tunnel, if you're just like, I see a light, I'm going to run towards it. That's not a careful analysis. You have not accepted those risks. You could be walking into a train, right? And then, he just accepted my analogy, I think, for the first time. It was not a bad one. That's right. Except you said light of the tunnel and then the ground crumbles. I was expecting a train, 
That makes sense. That that you know that might, might probably would have been better uh, if I had written it down and prepared it. I may have used that, but yeah. I I so imagine more of I corrected it for you. Thank you. I imagine more <laughs> of a cartoon style where you're ru- running to the light of the tunnel and you run off an edge and then you look down and there's no ground underneath you and then okay. your legs drop and then right. I, 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 I can I can accept that. What positions do you usually see people struggle with the most? Um, with escaping it, like at the gym when you see people or oh, just a general it's a general rule of, rule of thumb yeah i well forget that i'm gonna actually i'm gonna use this to answer some of my okay. own problems okay do i have to pay for a private no, if, if you no. answer this question no you're fine okay cool <laughs> so i've become very comfortable with playing open guard and a lot of the time, I can keep my opponents from passing. Usually, that means I can c- control where the role is going. What happens now is if someone passes to side control, let's use it as an, exa- as an example, I'm not there as often now, so I've forgot some of the things that have, I, in the past, I've been efficient at, but now I find myself trying to get out of these p- side control positions that I should be getting out of, but it's taking a lot more effort than it used to. What kind of things, and I'll make it a little more specific so we're not just shooting in the dark here. Let's say a scenario where someone gets to side control. They're in a traditional position where they have, they're kind of on their knees, one knee's by my hip, one knee's underneath the arm, and they are just chest to chest. What do I need to do to get out of this position. Usually what I'll try to do is slide, let's say my knee that's on the mat in between them and myself and create a little space and then get my guard back. What kind of things do I have to do to survive here? So so the, for the first thing I would do is eliminate threats, right? So if somebody is inside mount, the, the two most common threats are chokes and your target arm, the traditional target arm, meaning the arm that's in front of their face. The, okay. okay, the one away from their body. Right, right. Um, I prefer to attack the arm that's under my body than the one that's in front of it, but that's a little different. So nonetheless, we need to eliminate threats, right? So the inner arm, the one underneath their body, needs to become a frame on their hip. One that creates a little bit of distance between their hip and your head, makes the transitions from there to north and south a little more difficult, and it, if somebody's much bigger than you, it takes a little bit of the weight off. The second is to hide the target, the traditional target arm. So your elbow goes to your body, you pummel your hand to their shoulder nearest to your face, and you create a frame there, right? Now, both of those are nice frames, but they don't allow for a lot of space, some space, but not a lot of space. Um, and that's when we need to start using, you know, our hips, chest to move. So what do we do then? We would arch into them to the best of our ability. In a perfect world, you just push them right off of you, right? But that's not going to happen. So when you push into them and you feel that resistance and you feel your movement slowing down, you would shrimp away. You'd move your hips away from the opponent. Why, why, is, that, why is that key? Because once you do that, your frames become much more powerful. Because remember, the point of the frame was to stop his ability to close that distance, except that distance is much further. Your frames remained where, where they were. You just moved away from your frames. Right? And now you have a pocket of space, and that pocket of space can be used for a number of different things. Getting an underhook, getting the bottom knee in so that you can get guard back, and sometimes you go to butterfly from there or half guard. There's a number of options at that point. 
So, so that's the first thing I would do in a situation like that. So create that space, push, and then as you retract, right. it's kind of a race to fill that Correct. empty space. So now. you're going to win that race because your frames are still in place. Okay. Unless you remove those frames and made things even, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is a problem. I may do from time to time. <laughs> okay, so that, that that's the first thing to do. Mm-hmm. From there, all right, well, so if I'm able to get that knee in, I can then... Then you can fight. I can fight, get my guard in. Another thing that I I like to do, but I haven't, I've not as good at it anymore, is getting an underhook. Mm -hmm. Get an underhook, then maybe shoot that arm, Mm -hmm. escape out the bot, out the backside. Basic white belt stuff that we do. Mm -hmm. What principles do I need to pay attention to to accomplish that type of motion? So. Um, in addition to the space, right? Because that space that we talked about just a minute ago would allow you to, just like getting your knee in, allow you to pummel your hand underneath their armpit, right? The key with that pummeling is... The pummeling, you're, you're not creating a frame though, right? No, is right. Is that so the you, difference? What, you, what you'd have to create a frame at first. You'd have to bump into them and, sh- and shrimp away. Create that space. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that space, your arm can't move through their armpit because there's no room. Mm-hmm. So once you've created that space, then your frame, the one that's on their shoulder, would then, you know, go towards your chest, your groin, their armpit, you know, and so it's on. It's on my hand. My outside shoulder. hand is right. on their shoulder to start off with. I bump up Sh- towards them. Shrimp away. I shrimp away, and as I'm r- shrimping away, and there's now cr- space created between their chest and mine. Right. That hand that was on their shoulder now kind of uh, swipes down my chest. Groin and then armpit. Groin, and then it comes back around, and it's now underneath their uh, armpit. armpit. Correct. Okay. Now, the key there is not exposing your elbow. Okay, an underhook will fail every time if your elbow separates from your body, at least at the higher levels. So when when we are pummeling the hand through, our elbow cannot separate from our body. Because remember... We kept our elbow tight to our body early, early, early on to keep threats at bay. Can't escape if we're still defending, right? So once we get that underhook, um, then the mechanics of the underhook um, change the whole game entirely. You know, the underhook becomes much more powerful the further, the, the closer your shoulder is to their armpit. So if you have just your forearm underneath their armpit, it is a far weaker underhook than if your shoulder is underneath their armpit, right? So the, the the good thing is once your hand clears, once your fingertips clear the armpit, then it's just a matter of small micro adjustments if need be until you get to the point where their shoulder is, sorry, your shoulder is underneath their armpit. Okay. And then at that point, then you can create another frame underneath you with your elbow, and then you can start coming up and tossing them off of you. Okay, or you can bump again and right. shoot the arm right. up and escape out the back. Yeah. Okay. Another position that's very tough to get out of north south. Okay. It's not. <laughs> oh, good. Thanks. <laughs> that was that was your Hoyler answer. Yeah, yeah, just don't get there. Not, don't get there, Andrew. <laughs> that's one where I when someone gets north south, I will have my arms up so that essentially their shoulders are on my biceps so Mm -hmm. I can kind of extend my arms and that pushes me away from them a little bit and I'll try to maybe pendulum my legs but there are a lot of guys who can just keep me there and 
and I have to almost hope that they just aren't efficient in north south and that they switch to side control and then or another position and then i'll be like all right this this i can i'm a little more familiar at getting out of so um north and south is kind of a funny position because um i think it's one i think it's still one of the most underdeveloped positions in jiu-jitsu because a lot of people are looking for the, the clean kill, right? So there's not as much research done on developing positions as, they, as there used to be. And, you know, there may be two dozen, three dozen attacks from the north and south, where in side mount there may be a hundred, right? So when, because north and south is, like I think, to my opinion, underdeveloped, underappreciated, and underutilized, most people's escapes is even more so underdeveloped and underutilized because they're just not there. Mm -hmm. It's like your whole side mount thing. My guard's so much better now that I don't get side mounted. When I do, I struggle a little bit more. Imagine if nobody goes to north and south on you, then your north and south escape yeah, doesn't have to be, you, doesn't have to work. To practice right? Him often. right, and it, you don't have to do that because people aren't good at attacking north and south, so then there isn't a need, right? Um, so you can have somebody who's, let's say, at best mediocre at attacking north and south, and they can really make some people suffer in the bottom because... Yeah, yeah they, they feel like an expert if they just <laughs> right. have a little bit of experience. Because that little bit of experience may be, may be far more than, than no experience you have, right? Um, and, and there's a bunch of very creative escapes from north and south. The, the best one I've ever gotten was... Um, it's from our system Bowski, and he he like he made me look made me feel stupid you know like i think it was a purple or brown belt and i used to i used to just roll over my head and take their back because i'm very flexible and i'm very long and lanky and i used to just take their back like that was my thing like that was I, your north south escape yeah i used it? to force people into north and south and then roll over and take their back <laughs> because people didn't expect a you know a bigger guy to be flexible like i am so if I was struggling escaping side, I would force myself underneath them and then roll over and take their back. And um, never even crossed my mind to do that because you have to, I think, be long. If I yeah, if I you did have that, to have the length. Yeah. yeah. And and I did it a couple of times in his school, and he he's like, "Well, why are you doing this? Well, because it's works." And he's like, "Why don't you just get out?" I am. I'm taking their back. He's like, "No, no, no. Why don't you just escape?" I don't know. And he said, well, why don't you just pendulum yourself away from them? And I'm like, I don't know, that's genius. That is brilliant. And it turns out that he took the, um, the he combined the escape and the defense into one movement, right? So if somebody north and south, you, if you were to make sure there's no imminent threats, and you were to keep your feet together and you just swing them from side to side nonstop, you will escape north and south. It's impossible to keep you there. What do you do to keep them from following? Because that's... They can't follow. I feel like every time I do it, they <laughs> follow, so I must no, no. be doing something no, no. wrong. So, so, so here's the thing, right? So, so this is where the brilliancy of, of, of this defense slash escape is. If they choose to follow, if they choose to stay tight and chase you down the mat, they're no longer attacking you because they can't control you with their arms and attack you with their arms. Mm -hmm. It has to be one or the other. 
Now, if you start escaping and they start chasing and you feel like you're not making any progress, you actually are. You single-handedly, by doing this movement, have prevented their ability to attack you. It'd be no different than the energy spent defending an arm by, by, by holding your arm. Right. The benefit here is, at some point, that person is going to get frustrated because they're going to get tired. It take, it's once, you, once your pendulum and your legs are moving like that, there's so much momentum, and it just builds. Momentum just gets bigger and bigger. And that almost you almost feel like Superman just sliding down the mats, you know, with mm-hmm. very little energy. But the person chasing you is having to control you with their upper body and use their legs to close that distance that you're creating. It's far more exhausting for the person on top than for the person on bottom. Generally, if they don't feel like they can hold you down, if they try to try it once and you run away and they close that distance, they try it again and you run away, they will switch off to an attack because then they're going to go, fuck it, I might as well try a submission, right? And in doing so, they're attacking from a uncontrolled position. And remember when I talked about attacking, right? We need to control, isolate, and then apply the technique. Here, they're no longer controlling. They're looking to isolate and apply a technique. So they're, they're attacking from uneven footing, and their escapes will fail. It's, it's almost... The submissions. Yeah, sorry, the submissions will fail. It's almost impossible to, um, to prevent that escape from happening. So the pendulum, pendulum of the leg, it is a way of defending. Is it an escape, though? It becomes an escape. Okay. Right. Because of its defense properties, the distance it creates, it puts the attacker in a situation where they have to make a choice. Do I control? And if they're controlling, then this becomes simply a defense. Like if they just chase you down, it's just a defense. Or do I attack uncontrolled meaning that now the properties of defense the distance you created are irrelevant you're now escaping the position okay in this position also is it one of the time rare times where it's okay to be just flat on your back yeah well at first yeah at first eventually the momentum builds enough that you should start turning a little bit on your side and if you do this correctly you usually end up in like a half guard to guard scenario because you spin all the way through eventually spin all the way through and like grab one of their legs with your legs and and so on and so forth yeah okay one thing i guess we haven't talked about as much is um to escaping and staying you have to stay mobile to escape you have to have some uh, the ability to to move yes framing is part of that are there other things you have to add into your tool set to give yourself the space to move besides just a frame? Yeah, understanding some basic things like, you know, every every force, every every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, right? What, why is that important? A lot of times we get somebody on top of us and they're crushing us down and then we try to push them off of us. The problem with pushing them off of us is as we push, we're also, their body, their weight is also pushing us down, right? Think of a bench press. If you lay down on the, on the bench, take the bar, and you push up, right? And the weight comes down, and you push it back up. That's great. You're moving the weight. But the weight is exerting a constant force on your body, right? And most people behave that way when they're pushing an object. So you create your frames, and now you're trying to create distance with that frame, and you push into them. Well, it, it's just pinning you to the mat, mm-hmm. right? So 
creating angles, turning on your side so that when you push them or they try to close the distance on that frame, it actually moves you away from them. You're not pinned to the mat. You're not stuck to the mat, right? Um, head movement. If you have no head movement, meaning your head mobility is, um, is, is limited, then that limits which side and which patterns of escape you can employ. I didn't even think about head movement. Yeah, if, if you... If you're side mounted and you cannot look at your opponent's butt, you're not escaping side mount. Well, head head movement is probably one of the most overlooked, or I can't speak for everyone, but for me, one of the most overlooked aspects. I never think about what I need to do with my head, and that is without positioning your head, you can't do anything. You, I mean, without a head, you right. wouldn't be good at jujitsu for many no. reasons. Right. But what? Although you'd be great at defending chokes. Yeah, there'd be no jokes. Yeah. Using the head as almost a third leg <laughs> because... Oh, my God. <laughs> I like how you thought about it. Like, is this bad enough? And then you just dove right in. Just jump into it. Accept it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's worse than the seven deep from last episode. That's... <laughs> yeah, that... Listen, I, I am not... I never said that I am a professional broadcaster... I am a semi-professional broadcaster, okay. maybe. Yeah. Amateur. No, uh, who am I kidding? I'm someone who does this from a bedroom. Yeah. Covered in mattresses. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, the head is important. It's when trying to get out of a lot of things like side control, there are three main points of contract on the ground, both your legs mm-hmm. and your head. Right. Well, any other... Thing that comes to mind with the escape artist right now i feel that you've given me the information to escape i think with amazon prime and the info you gave me i can meet the image and the character i was going for at the beginning of this podcast yeah. i have the tools to get out and i have the tools to make it flashy I mean, jujitsu is nothing if, if without theatrics, right? Yeah. Was that that's did Haley did Haleo say that? No, I don't think I don't think so. I think that was Carlos. No, I don't think that was that was, that was you. Was that you? No, I think that was uh, Andrew Desimone. Okay, well, yeah, we're all pioneers in some way. Something. <laughs> no, I think I think when we look at guys like Hajar, especially at the video like the Master of Escapes, and I think um, it's it's a worthy video for everybody listening to go watch. Um, Partially because the first two minutes of the video, it's like a four and a half minute video. I think the first two, two and a half minutes of the video is Hajar just getting put into these absolutely horrific positions. Locked in arm bars, locked in triangles, you know, just, just shitty situations. And at about halfway point, he um, he escapes. Like the video flips back through all the positions that he's currently locked in and he escapes them, right? And I think... Um, the thing to keep in mind when escape, when you're looking to escape is eliminate the threat, right? Make sure that you're not in an immediate danger. Now, what is an immediate danger? That's relative, right? So how, how close to breaking your arm basically is what it comes down, or how close is it are you tapping? That's the immediate danger. And then you prioritize in a situation that's a, let's say a double attack, like a triangle where they can arm bar and choke you. You prioritize their needs. You know, you're, you're usually going to tap faster to a lock than you are to a choke, so you, you prioritize defending that at first, although the choke would be higher priority because in a real-life scenario, you can fight with a broken arm, but you can't fight if you're asleep. And then once you found that bubble, once you've defended well enough that you have this bubble that you can at least analyze the situation, 
then it becomes un having a true understanding of the attacking pattern, right? How are they applying any particular attack? And what is important for them to have that attack work? And then you start disabling those things. And if you can do that, you've protected yourself, you've disabled their ability to attack. So should your defense fail, you're better off. And then it becomes a matter of then employing your escape from that point forward. And, and the best escape artists are also the best submission fighters out there because they understand what it takes to finish a given submission and they can deconstruct it and find a weak spot and get out through that side. And I think that's where Hajar in particular is um, probably one of the best, if not the best, escape artist ever because in that video in particular there is a match he's going with today um, and today triangles him and then in the triangle he arm bars Hajar um, and, and I've watched the video I've watched the original fight that they had I don't know uh, three four dozen times I'm not quite sure how Hajar escaped um, I understand what he did to escape like I understand the steps he took and I understand his his analysis of the situation and his approach to defending it like I get everything he did but I'm still not quite sure if his his he, if his analysis is that good that he can find a weak link in an attack because it wasn't that today made a mistake and Hajar capitalized on that escape on that mistake to escape or he found a weak spot in his triangle and capitalized on that weakness it was almost as if he just ignored it the triangle and the armbar constructs of his imagination and he just <laughs> broke through it like neo seeing the numbers you know what i mean like <laughs> I, I i i'm not quite sure and I, i've seen interviews of other black belts uh, some 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 legends even analyzing that match and they've all said the same thing they're not all quite sure how he escaped they're not quite sure how that was possible hmm. his dad even did an interview years later where um they asked him how do you how do you feel watching his son's matches was he ever worried about being seeing his son getting caught or broken or something like that and he said nobody's going to break Hajar and uh he's like I've, I understand how he's getting out of all these things and nobody's going to stop him. And they asked him about that match. And he says, you know, that's the one that I, I don't, don't quite know how he got out. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, that wraps up all of our escape artist information for the episode. To end this one, still trying to think of ways. We've done the Disney characters. You didn't like that. Mm -mm. You didn't play long. Which Stranger Things character oh. are you? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good one. I like that show. Okay. But I, I don't know. That. <laughs> we we got to get some answer. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think I've ever watched the show and gone, man, that's me. Like, I don't think I've done that. Like, <laughs> I would say you're a Barb. Is that her name? A Barb. Barb. What's the name of the friend who... Oh, that's dead. She died. She dies. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Just... Kind of awkward, gangly. Oh, okay. um, wow. Awkward and gangly. Okay. Not really sure. People aren't sure what <laughs> your purpose is. Uh, okay. You All just right. kind of are there. Fair and then enough. you disappear. No one notices. Yeah, fair enough. I, I, uh, 
I will take that and I will be hurt and uh I'm gonna go I'm gonna go uh, listen if you would have thought of your own self to sleep now if you would have thought of your own character then <laughs> I wouldn't have to do this to you so when I'm all depressed and people find my suicide notes for all those of you listening this was the moment this is what did it yeah I take I, I'll take responsibility for that cool <laughs> all right thanks for listening everyone Thank you.